Hey creeps, I'm Taylor and this is TGI Crime Day. Welcome to TGI Crime Day. In case you missed it, um, a couple weeks ago I put up the video version of this podcast on YouTube. Yay. Finally figured it out. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully it's going to be fine. Um, So if you are listening to the audio only version, you can go and subscribe on YouTube. Or if you're watching on YouTube, you can go and subscribe and catch up on the first 20-ish episodes that are audio only wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I'm going to remind you at the top of the episode... um, rather than at the end, I would really love to start doing listener story episodes of kind of everything. Your spooky ghost stories, your hometown murders, your town's urban legends. Send them to me, whatever it is, true crime related and spooky related, and I will start doing um, episodes where I read them to you and we can all share our stories. I love it. I really like the idea of that. Sometimes it feels so lonely just me and my microphone, so I love the idea of having... um, listeners be interactive with the podcast. So send me your things. You can send all of your spooky and true crime related things to tgicrimeday at gmail.com. Okay, before we get into today's case, I wanted to give you a quick content warning. We are talking a lot today about mental health and suicide in this case. And I think it's important to share these things and to share these stories because first of all, I think we should all be working together to get rid of this stigma around discussing mental health struggles. Um, But specifically in this case, a young woman was failed by a system that took one look at her mental health record and made a lot of assumptions about who she was as a person. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up before we get started. Today, I'm taking a look into the tragic, unexplained circumstances that surround the death of Phoebe Hanschuk. For the sake of my research process and because there are so many things I want to talk about surrounding this case, it's going to be in two parts. So make sure you're subscribed so you can catch up on both of those things. I didn't want to cut anything short and I didn't want to cut anything out for the sake of time. So I decided it's better to just do it in two parts. So if you like two-parters, yay. Me too. And if you don't like two-parters, I'm sorry. Just wait until next week and both of them will be out and you can just listen to them right in a row. Also, before I get started, I wanted to mention the book that I read that gave me a ton of insight into this case and was a huge help um, in my sources. That book is called Into the Darkness, The Mysterious Death of Phoebe Hansjuk, and it is by Robin Bowles. It's a very, very well-written book and you kind of get a good overview of everything and it takes a look into all the different pieces of this case. So after you listen to this, if you want to take that deeper dive, I highly recommend that book. Phoebe Hansjuk was born May 9th, 1986, and Phoebe was born by an emergency C-section, and right from the start, she was just a firecracker kind of girl. Phoebe's mom, Natalie, called her Tiger Cub because she was born in the Chinese year of the tiger. A few years after Phoebe was born, the family welcomed two boys, Tom and Nikolai. Phoebe was very close with her brothers and had a good relationship with her parents. Even when she was very young, Phoebe was very artistic and creative, and people described her as mystical, which I think is just the coolest thing. She was very competitive in sports, and she played basketball when she was in school, and people told stories of how Phoebe would be very calm and having fun during basketball games until something happened, and if she was fouled, then something would happen. A fire would light inside her, and she would be speeding down the court and playing at the top of her game. I think that Phoebe seems like the type of person who, if someone told her she couldn't do something, she would be like, oh yeah, watch me, and would go and do the thing. Phoebe went to the Sophia Mundy Steiner School, where they followed the teachings of Rudolf Steiner, who developed a holistic system of education that promoted each child's own unique qualities. They put an emphasis on teaching through the arts, and I think this sounds like the coolest concept for extremely creative kids who maybe struggle with traditional teaching. I love the idea of teaching kids based on their specific learning styles. I feel like that opens up so much more room for success. Anyways, it seems like the perfect place for someone like Phoebe, who was always looking for ways to be creative and artistic. Her mom, Natalie, said, quote, She was a wild child and enjoyed the rich fantasy world of her own imagination. She was physically active and, as a young girl, loved natural spaces, wild places, and especially the ocean. End quote. As Phoebe got older, she was very social, and she was always kind to the people she went to school with. One of her classmates said, quote, I remember her walking up to greet me with a rose. I remember saying that I was really scared to start school, and she told me that I had nothing to be afraid of that I had amazing things to look forward to, and that it's okay to be scared sometimes. She actually took my hand and walked me upstairs and right to my desk and said she wouldn't leave until she saw me smile. She was absolutely beautiful, end quote. 
there is always story after story of just how beautiful Phoebe was and how people were always entranced by her like she put a spell on them when she walked into a room. I know that we hear this a lot in cases, but with Phoebe, it really was that way. Her friends said that at parties, guys would just flock to her. And as a teen, I'm sure that was really exciting. But Phoebe did write things in her journal about how difficult this was at times because she felt like certain people only cared about her looks and didn't really want to get to know her. And that was something that was really hard for her. It was hard for her to know people's intentions when they became her friend. Phoebe did find herself in a little bit of a tough spot, like a lot of kids her age. She would go out and party with her friends and she eventually started experimenting with drugs and alcohol. When she was 13, she confided to her grandmother, Jeanette, who she was extremely close with, that she had been experimenting with weed, ecstasy, speed, and alcohol. And this really took a toll on Phoebe's mental health, which I think it would for anybody, especially a kid that age. While the Hansjuk family got along really well, they also had their struggles like any family. When Phoebe was 15, Len and Natalie's marriage was deteriorating and she ran away for eight weeks. She moved into a house with five other girls and they had one friend who didn't move in with them but would kind of come and take care of them. She would bring them food and check in with Natalie to let her know that Phoebe was okay. Phoebe decided to move home after a scary incident that happened at this house they were sharing. One of the girls had a baby with a man who had been recently released from prison, and I assume he was living at the house with them as well. Um, either way, he was there one night, and this guy ended up pulling a knife on Phoebe's friend. And without even thinking, Phoebe jumped in to intervene and to protect her friend, and that night she moved back home, and she told Natalie that she had been scared to death. This probably took a toll on Phoebe's mental health as well. I think we all know people, or maybe you were this person as a teen, maybe you are still this person, who have to learn some lessons the hard way. And that's just how it is as a kid sometimes. You don't think your parents know anything, and you insist that you can make these certain choices for yourself while trying to find that independence. And unfortunately, sometimes those situations turn out exactly the way your parents warned you they would, which you hate in the moment. Phoebe's dad, Len, was actually a psychiatrist, and he tried to help Phoebe find a good psychiatrist to talk to, and eventually Phoebe was put on to antidepressants. She was on and off antidepressants starting around age 16, and... Of course, medications can be a very helpful option if you've ever been on an antidepressant or anything like that. You know that once they start working, you almost feel like you want to stop taking them because you feel better, but then you stop taking them and feel low again. And it seems like this was the case with Phoebe. And while Len tried to warn her about the negative effects of going on and off medications and not doing it in the correct way, obviously that can make you feel even worse. When Phoebe wasn't on her antidepressants, she would use drugs and alcohol to self-medicate. Once Phoebe opened up to her grandma Jeanette about her depression after Jeanette noticed a bandage on Phoebe's arm. I think that Phoebe tried to kind of brush this off and Jeanette was obviously very concerned and Phoebe told her that she wasn't suicidal. She just felt like she was struggling and she had wanted to hurt herself in that moment. Jeanette made Phoebe promise that if she ever felt that way again, she would call her and Phoebe agreed. Jeanette said that she and Phoebe could talk about anything and everything. There was nothing off limits for them, and Phoebe would always talk to her if something was wrong. After Phoebe returned to her parents' house, she ended up leaving the Sophia Monday School and switching to a public school. It's speculated that part of the reason she left that school was because she started a relationship with a teacher there. And this is part of Phoebe's story that is always told in the weirdest ways, and it really bothers me. I've seen articles that call it an affair, Phoebe was 16. This teacher was 30. Sorry, but this wasn't an affair and it wasn't a relationship. He was in a position of authority over her and also, hi, ethically, you shouldn't be dating your students if you can even call it that. And it's literally illegal for you to be having a sexual relationship with a minor. It also really annoys me because people talk about Phoebe's spell over men. Sorry, this wasn't a girl who was going around casting mystical love spells on people. One of her friends said, quote, I think he just fell in love with a beautiful girl who had him under a spell, end quote. That was a grown-up who was supposed to be making correct, proper decisions about minors. He wasn't under a spell, okay? Grow up. Okay, um, if you watched Pretty Little Liars, you probably remember that Aria, one of the main characters, was in a relationship with her high school English teacher. And I was the same age when that show was on TV. I remember kind of being weirded out by it, but mostly I was like, they're so great together, they're so cute, and older guys are so cool because they're grown-ups, whatever. Because I was an idiot teenager, and now, as a 30-year-old adult, I'm like, whoa, this is so inappropriate and such bad news. Why in the world did we think that that was okay? 
And that's how we know that we've grown up, okay? And before anyone gets mad at me and says that there's nothing wrong with age gaps, it's not about the age gap. It's not about the number of years apart. Someone who is 20 dating someone who is 35, while not my favorite thing, is still a very different story than someone who is literally a child. And if you want to go as far as to say like, okay, well, what if they really did have these genuine feelings for each other? Because I see that argument a lot. Okay, then they can wait two years until she's graduated and an actual adult. And if they're soulmates or something, they'll still be soulmates when everyone is legally an adult and using their full brain. Okay? Just my opinion. Please don't yell at me. Um, Apparently, the other adults in Phoebe's life didn't really seem to have an issue with this so-called relationship. No one seemed to think it was inappropriate and they dated for a couple of years from what I understand. Um, And Phoebe's parents actually had a 14-year age difference and her grandparents had an 11-year age difference. So maybe they um, understood it a little more and didn't think it was that strange. But again, I I just still can't wrap my head around how anyone thought it was appropriate for a teacher to be pursuing a student and no one saw an issue there and then acted like it was because Phoebe was just like putting spells on adult men. Phoebe left school after year 11 to start working. She worked a few different jobs before landing a position as a receptionist at a big hair salon that's run by Lindley Godfrey. He's a celebrity hairstylist, so this was a really, really good opportunity for Phoebe. This was probably also a great position for someone like Phoebe, who was really outgoing and very social. She met a lot of different people working there and enjoyed this job a lot. One day, a man named Anthony Hample came to the salon for his appointment and was immediately interested in Phoebe. And everyone calls Antony Ant, so that's what I'm going to call him moving forward. When Phoebe met Ant, she was 23 and he was about to turn 40. Phoebe often dated people that were much older than her, and her grandma Jeanette said that she believed that Phoebe was looking for some kind of approval or validation uh, from these older guys. And again, the age difference is totally fine as long as both people are on the same page about their paths in life. Phoebe's relationship with Ant progressed pretty quickly. According to the book Into the Darkness by Robin Bowles, Phoebe's relationships always started off really strong and really intense, but eventually they would kind of blow up in the end. And this could have been because Phoebe was such an outgoing person. She liked to go to parties. She would chat with different people there. She was still very much in that phase of her life. And maybe her partners weren't super stoked about that. Again, that age difference can be tricky to navigate if the older person is kind of like done with that party phase and ready to chill out and slow down a bit. But the younger person is still very much finding themselves. They are in the prime of their life. They're figuring it out. And it can cause a lot of tension and sometimes jealousy depending on the relationship. A friend of Phoebe said, quote, She was loved by so many. She could never be yours to keep. You could only have Phoebe for a moment and then she would be gone without a trace. End quote. It seems like Aunt really wanted to be the person to keep Phoebe, though. Phoebe was this artistic, outgoing fireball of a person, but Aunt was done with that stage in life. He was almost 40 and he ran an extremely successful event planning business. His dad and stepmom were also very successful and well off. Um, They were both retired judges. And Aunt lived in this upscale apartment building called the Valencia. This apartment complex is very fancy and very expensive. And after dating for only five months, Aunt asked Phoebe to move in with him. The problem was that Aunt wanted to keep Phoebe, but he wanted to keep the version of Phoebe that he felt was worthy of his lifestyle. When Phoebe moved in, he essentially told her that the receptionist job she was working was beneath them and that it was not the lifestyle that he wanted them to project. So he essentially made her quit this job and he got her a new job working for an ad agency with someone that he knew. He was able to kind of like pull some strings and get her this job. And I guess this job was only three days a week, so Phoebe ended up with a lot of free time on her hands. She would just kind of hang out at the apartment, probably something that was extremely boring for someone who was so outgoing and constantly on the move. Not only that, but three days a week doesn't really make a ton of money. So after paying Aunt rent and some of their other shared expenses, Aunt was the one covering a lot or most of her living expenses, which turned into a little bit of a control thing from what I understand based on what I've read about their relationship and Aunt's personality. If you are a creative person or you have creative people close to you, you know that they are very messy. They like to have a bunch of projects going on at once and that can leave your living space looking like a disaster. I'm laughing because as I look around this room, there are like five unfinished things just scattered about. And luckily my husband is very understanding of that side of me. But Phoebe was also like that. She had a big personality. She was very artistic. And so I'm sure she normally had a pretty eclectic living space. But living with Aunt, she didn't get to express that part of herself. Phoebe's family said that the apartment looked like Phoebe didn't even live there. 
Apart from a few framed photos of Aunt and Phoebe together, there was none of her own personality shown around the apartment. Aunt basically wanted the apartment to look like a museum. Aunt had a house cleaner that came once a week. Her name was Sally Teller, and she said that Aunt told her to make the apartment look so clean it looked like no one lived there. This was just another way that Phoebe was kind of being morphed into another person by Aunt's influence. She left her job and got one she felt was more suitable. She moved into a very big, very clean apartment that was kept exactly how Aunt wanted it. And Phoebe also changed up her look, going from this beachy blonde, kind of messy looking hairdo to this more sophisticated, short cropped haircut that looked beautiful on her, by the way. She just was like one of those people that could pull off any hair and look amazing. So this short, dark haircut could have actually been kind of influenced by Christina Hample, who is Aunt's sister, who Phoebe became pretty close with. Christina also rocked this like short cropped dark hairstyle. Again, both beautiful, beautiful girls. Um, and don't get me wrong here. People change and grow and make compromises in relationships all the time. That's part of being an adult and like choosing to spend your life with someone, right? But the problem is in this situation, it didn't seem that Phoebe was necessarily happy about these things or the relationship in general. Just like with many of her past relationships, things started out hot and heavy and exciting, but started to fizzle out pretty quickly. Once they moved in together, it seemed that they started fighting more and more about Phoebe's partying, about Phoebe's job, about Phoebe's friends, who Aunt referred to as quote-unquote deadbeats and druggies. And apparently during one of these fights, Aunt was out of town and he said something to Phoebe about how he didn't want her going out drinking while he was gone and that he quote, didn't know who was sleeping in his bed, end quote, as if he doesn't know who Phoebe really is or whatever that means. By the time that Phoebe and Aunt had been together for about a year and a half, they had broken up and gotten back together multiple times, which always takes a toll on people. Phoebe was seeing a therapist at this time. I'm not sure if she had been seeing her for a while or just since she had moved in with Aunt, but she told this therapist that Aunt often made her feel stupid and put her down, which bothers me so much. Around fall time in 2010, things really got to a breaking point and Phoebe confided that while she was excited to take a trip with Aunt to Paris, she was also worried that he was going to propose while they were there. And this was an offer that Phoebe just wasn't ready to accept. She also said that she was stressed out about this trip because since they'd been fighting a lot, she was worried that they would have some kind of huge blow up while they were in France. And if Aunt ditched her there, she would be stuck in a foreign country with no money. That is not the way that relationships should feel. And it's so hard and so yucky and something that I think a lot of people can relate to. It's like things are too bad to stay, but leaving is also really hard. And... It just breaks my heart for Phoebe knowing what we do about her. During this really rocky point in their relationship, Phoebe was turning to some of her old habits and basically beginning to self-medicate again. Something that was mentioned about Phoebe was that she was kind of a lightweight when it came to drinking alcohol. And after only a couple of drinks, she would often feel very dizzy and get very off balance and drunk really quickly. Then she would have these awful hangovers and be in bed for a couple of days because drinking made her depression really, really bad. Aunt referred to Phoebe's drinking and drug habits as the monster. It seems like Aunt really wanted to help Phoebe stay sober and get this figured out, but then they would go to these social events with Aunt's older, well-off friends, and Phoebe would end up having a drink to kind of take the edge off because it was such a stressful atmosphere for her to be in. So she would have a couple drinks at this event that Aunt dragged her to, and then he would get angry with her, and around and around it went. Eventually, in October of 2010, Phoebe was ready to call it quits for real this time. She started making plans to move out. She was looking for new jobs. She was looking for a place to stay. She talked about planning a trip to do volunteer work in India, and this was something that she spoke to multiple people about multiple times. One day, Phoebe called Natalie to take her up on an old offer. I guess when Phoebe turned 21 a couple of years earlier, Natalie had offered to pay for an overseas trip that Phoebe didn't end up taking. She basically called her mom and was like, okay, look, I need to get out of here. I need to get out for a little bit. Is that offer still on the table? She also told Natalie that when she got back from the trip, she would really like to rent out a rental property that Natalie owned. She was making all these plans and making moves to find her happiness again and to focus on things outside of herself. Phoebe left the apartment on October 20th for what she thought was going to be the last time. She went to see her grandma Jeanette and stayed with her a few days in Malacuta, and while she was there, she reached out to a family friend to see if she could get a temporary job while she looked for something more permanent. Phoebe also went to an AA meeting while she was in Malacuta, and Aunt was blowing up her phone the entire time, calling and calling and calling. There was a woman who gave Phoebe a ride back to Jeanette's house that said that Phoebe was really irritated by her phone ringing and going off over and over, but she didn't say much else. 
She was finally out of the city. She was out of the job she hated and away from aunt and finally had some space from the situation where she could look at things in a different way. She seemed really excited to move forward and to start this next chapter. She told Jeanette her plans about India and getting back to her happiness and away from the stress and anxiety that was weighing her down so much lately. And this is really hard because Jeanette was trying to give Phoebe good advice and guidance that she felt was the right thing, but unfortunately, that didn't bring the results that Jeanette and everyone else in Phoebe's life probably had hoped. She told Phoebe not to run away from her problems. She told her she needed to face everything head on. She needed to resign from her job in person and have that breakup conversation with Aunt. She told her not to run away from her problems with loose ends, which generally is good advice. And this is not Jeanette's fault at all, but things did not go the way that she probably hoped. And it definitely didn't go the way that Phoebe had planned in the beginning. On October 24th, Phoebe went to talk to Aunt, and unfortunately, he convinced her to move back into the Valencia apartment. It just puts my stomach in knots knowing that she was so close to getting out of this situation, but this cycle of fighting and making up and moving out and moving back in, of course, continued on. A few weeks later, on November 17th, Aunt and Phoebe went to have dinner at their friend Linda Cohen's house, and while they were there, Phoebe had a couple of drinks, and she and Aunt had some kind of a fight. I've seen it mentioned before that Phoebe had been checking her phone that evening and Aunt got mad at her for this. Whatever the reason, Aunt just up and left her at Linda's and went home. That night, Phoebe and Linda stayed up all night talking. They talked about everything. Phoebe opened up to her about the failing relationship with Aunt and she told her that she wanted to leave but kept being talked into staying. Phoebe told Linda about her desire to travel to India to focus on other people and to do some good in the world. She even spoke with her about her past drug and alcohol habits, and she told Linda that she used weed and cocaine in the past because alcohol left her feeling extremely depressed. Phoebe said that she wanted to go back to Jeanette's, leave Aunt and her job, but she had tried to do that and ended up in the same cycle again. Linda was really upset seeing Phoebe so upset, and she told her that she was there for her, that the next day they would go to Aunt's apartment, they would get her things and get her out of there. Linda sounds like just a lovely person and a really good friend. And I'm glad that Phoebe had someone like that around her. About their relationship, Linda said, quote, Phoebe was a wild child. She wasn't troubled. She was just not ready to be tamed. Aunt's rules are aunt's rules, and they threatened the two things Phoebe valued most, freedom and independence, end quote. The next morning, Linda was shocked when Phoebe started drinking almost immediately, especially after she told Linda the night before that drinking made her feel really depressed. But maybe it was just a little liquid courage to get through the moving out of ants. Linda was worried about her, but they went and packed Phoebe's things, and Phoebe seemed like she was okay when she stayed with Linda again that night. Once they got back to Linda's, Phoebe seemed like she was in a really good mood. She'd been drawing and writing poetry, and she seemed very clear-headed and positive about her next moves. Phoebe was excited about her choices and her plans moving forward. The plan was for Phoebe to go to Jeanette's on November 20th, but then Aunt called. And I have no idea what he said to her, but she ended up moving back in with him another time. Only three days later, on November 23rd, Phoebe called her dad, Len, and said that Aunt had kicked her out and that she needed to be picked up from his apartment. Len canceled all of his therapy appointments for the rest of the day and hurried over to get Phoebe, who was waiting outside with all of her things. Phoebe stayed with Len for three days, but then again, Aunt was back, begging Phoebe to come home. After Phoebe moved back in with Aunt, she met up with Linda again, who was surprised that Phoebe was in a really good mood, and she seemed actually really excited to be back with Aunt. She felt like things were finally going in a positive direction, and they were going to work through things. Phoebe said she was looking forward to going to Paris with Aunt so they could get things back on track. I have no idea what caused Phoebe to stay, but something had convinced Phoebe that they would be able to work through this rough patch and that their relationship was worth salvaging. Of course, we don't know exactly what the relationship dynamic was. It seems like when things were good, they were really, really good, and Phoebe and Aunt obviously loved each other, but by all accounts, Aunt was controlling and liked things exactly the way that he liked them, and Phoebe was more of a free spirit. Remember, she was only 24 at this point, and Aunt was almost 41. He'd done the young, dumb adventure thing, and Phoebe was just getting started exploring the world and figuring out who she was. That's what I meant earlier, I guess, when I said everyone needs to be on the same page, no matter what age you are, but especially when there is that age difference. And clearly, they were not on the same page because in the six weeks leading up to Phoebe's death, they'd broken up and she'd moved out and back in four different times. And I know it can be really easy 
to look at these things from the outside and be like, why wouldn't you just leave? Why are you staying there? But if you've been in this type of relationship or if you have someone close to you who's been in this type of relationship, you know that it's never that simple. Whether he convinced her to come back because he was willing to work through things or because he manipulated her by talking down to her and making her feel like crap, which we know from her therapist was not impossible, something kept her in that apartment. There was a reason she kept going back. And that cycle of manipulation and back and forth is a very, very difficult one to get out of. So if you've been there or maybe you're there right now, I'm really sorry. Um, it's literally a nightmare. So please take care of yourself and know that you deserve to be in a happy, loving relationship with someone who doesn't make you feel like an idiot all the time. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to get off my soapbox of unasked for advice and move forward. The week after Phoebe moved in with Aunt for that final time, she met up with breakfast for Len and they would do a breakfast date weekly, which I love. They would just chat and kind of catch up. And Len said that this was a great way for him to spend time with his daughter, but also a good way to keep an eye on her. Len's birthday was that week and they'd originally planned to be at his birthday party, but Phoebe told him that Aunt had surprised her with tickets to a U2 concert that she was really excited for. So they decided to have a late birthday dinner for him the day after the concert the following week. It seems like something else happened over the next few days because Phoebe became more withdrawn. The manager of the Valencia, Eric, said that Phoebe was always smiley and friendly when he saw her around the building. However, the last time he talked to her, she just seemed off. Phoebe rode her bike everywhere and would usually have to bring it inside, up the elevator, and store it in their apartment because all of the bike spaces were assigned and full. But on this particular day, Eric was really excited because he got to tell Phoebe that a spot had finally opened up and he knew that she hated taking that bike upstairs. So he was stoked to tell her. But when Eric saw Phoebe coming into the building and he told her this great news, she barely responded to him and seemed like she hardly even noticed that he was talking to her. And again, Phoebe was very social and very outspoken. She and Eric had had a lot of interactions in the times that she had lived there. And she had never been like that before, especially about something she was like, excited about. That same week on November 29th, Aunt and Phoebe went to dinner at a friend's house and Phoebe told Aunt that she wouldn't drink and she would quote unquote behave. Uh, she ended up having a couple of drinks and was chatting with the wife of this couple and Aunt felt like she was getting way too personal because she was opening up about her depression. And Aunt apparently didn't like this. They ended up leaving early and returned to the apartment around 7.50 p.m. Phoebe wanted to get out of the apartment probably away from this constant fighting. So she called Linda at 8.30 to see if they could meet up. And Linda told Phoebe that she was welcome to come over and stay at her place, but she did have to be up early the next day for work, so they couldn't stay up all night talking like they did the last time. Phoebe declined her offer and instead tried to find some friends who would go out with her. She ended up calling her friend Brendan, who everyone calls Bren, so that's what I'll call him. Uh, Bren and Phoebe had been friends for a very long time. I think they were close to the same age, but Phoebe had dated Bren's older brother years before, and she and Bren had stayed friends afterwards. Phoebe and Bren met up at 11.30 p.m. at the European Beer Cafe and had a couple drinks together. Aunt called her over and over and over and over the whole time of course. And Bren had to go home a little after midnight. They weren't together very long. He had to work the next morning, but Phoebe wasn't in the mood to go back and deal with Aunt, so she stayed out. Bren said that she seemed like she was in a good mood when he left the bar. Phoebe ended up going to her mom's house after that, and Natalie was out of town, but her partner Russell was there. Russell was probably surprised to see Phoebe in the middle of the night, but he made her a cup of tea, and they stayed up talking until about 3 a.m. Russell seems like a really, really great person. I love that he was there for her while her mom was out of town. And he just was like, come in, let's have tea, let's chat. Um, she just needed a place and she needed to get out of Anne's apartment. If I remember correctly, Natalie was out of town for work, but she would be back the following week. And she and Phoebe had made plans um, to start on planning her younger brother's birthday. It seems like Natalie and Phoebe could butt heads sometimes. Their relationship was a little bit strained when Phoebe was a teen. Totally normal mother-daughter dynamic at that age, but... They were really working on repairing that part of their relationship, and based on the emails they had been sending back and forth, they were really looking forward to catching up and spending some time together when Natalie got home. The next day, November 30th, Phoebe told Russell and Jeanette that she was going back to the city to go to work, but she ended up skipping work and going back to the Valencia around 9 a.m. Like I mentioned before, when Phoebe drank a lot, she would become really depressed and she would struggle through a haze for a couple of days. I'm not exactly sure what was going on, but she did call her psychiatrist that day and was trying to get a last-minute appointment with her. 
The psychiatrist was completely booked and told Phoebe that if she was in an emergency or feeling suicidal, she should call the hospital. And apparently, she did make some calls, but whatever she was told didn't feel helpful to Phoebe. She called the psychiatrist again and told her that she really, really needed to talk to her. But again, the psychiatrist couldn't fit her in. I wish we knew what Phoebe was thinking and going through at that time, but I haven't ever been able to track down exactly what her state of mind was or what led her to this point. After that, Phoebe called Bren again. And Phoebe actually had two phones. One was an iPhone that was under Aunt's plan, and one was an old Nokia that she kept mainly so that she would have all of her old numbers from it. Um, she called Bren from her Nokia, and he was working, so she left him a message. And she told him that if he didn't get back to her, she'd throw her phone away and leave the world. Bren got that message around 6 p.m., and when he called Phoebe back, her phone was off. Bren wasn't immediately worried because Phoebe would kind of say things like that. He didn't really think there was cause for real concern because he knew Phoebe well enough to know that sometimes she could be a little theatrical and maybe a little bit dramatic. We all have those friends. We've all been that friend. <laughs> so Bren didn't set off any alarm bells right away. Um, after she couldn't get a hold of Bren, Phoebe actually reached out to a friend that she met in 2009 in an art class. I think this person remained unnamed, but they became friends because they bonded over their depression and they had a lot in common. They met in an art class, so they already had a lot to talk about. Also, it's always such an interesting thing when you end up trauma bonding with someone like at a random event. It's just nice to know that you're not the only one with hard stuff. And I'm a big believer that if everyone aired out their dirty laundry a little more, we wouldn't all feel so shitty about our own dirty laundry. So I love that Phoebe and this guy were so close um, and were able to kind of become friends. But eventually he did kind of take a step back from their friendship. I think there was a point where they were talking constantly. They were in contact like almost every day. But eventually he decided that he was kind of done with the party scene. He was done with drugs and with drinking. And at the time, Phoebe was still very much in that world. And they stayed in touch, but they weren't hanging out regularly anymore. So it had been a while and Phoebe kind of contacted him out of the blue. But Phoebe called this friend and was like, I need to get out of my head. I need to get out of my apartment. I need to talk. So they met up and Phoebe told him what had been going on. And she said that she felt really bad for bothering her family again with her relationship troubles. And she felt like a burden because she'd been back and forth so much. And she told him that she felt trapped in her relationship, that aunt made her feel embarrassed for working a quote unquote low end job, which I don't think that she was at all. Uh, but Aunt had this fancy business, and that made her feel like Aunt deserved better, which I disagree with so much. Apart from Aunt, they also talked about everything and anything else. And this guy said it was a great conversation once they got away from that. He said she seemed calm and in a good headspace about wanting to leave Aunt, and she again mentioned going to do volunteer work in India. He said that this was the best conversation that they had ever had, and Phoebe sounded very confident in her next moves. Unfortunately, things took a rough turn when Phoebe convinced him to take her to Melbourne to get ecstasy pills. He said that Phoebe took at least one tab while they were in the car, and she started having extreme mood swings. One moment she was totally fine, the next she was really upset and angry, and apparently they had been looking at some of his artwork, and she had tried to kiss him. He turned her down, and she got really upset, so he decided it was time to take her back to the Balencia. He ended up dropping her off somewhere downtown around 9.30 p.m. And by that point, it seemed like Phoebe was fine and back to her happy, bubbly self. So he wasn't super worried to drop her off. Phoebe had partied a lot and was not new to using drugs. And this guy knew that. So it's not like he just ditched her somewhere. He thought that she would be fine and would go out and do her thing like she always did. No one is totally sure what Phoebe did for the next few hours, but she arrived back at the Balencia around 12.30 a.m. Ant had gotten home from work that day at 6 p.m., and he had apparently texted Bren, asking if he knew where Phoebe was. By the time he texted Bren, he had probably called Phoebe at least a dozen times trying to get a hold of her, and I don't think that Bren responded to Ant. I believe they had met before, but it's not like they were super close friends, so he probably was like, dude, leave me out of it. I'm speculating, but we can guess. The following day when Ant left for work at 9 a.m., he said that Phoebe was sound asleep. And from what I understand, Phoebe stayed in all day and was trying to sleep off her hangover. Like I mentioned before, it wasn't necessarily a regular occurrence, but it definitely wasn't unusual for Phoebe to kind of go on these benders and then need a few days to recover. This is where we get into the bizarre and confusing series of events over the next 48 hours in this case. The next two days have been inspected with a fine-tooth comb and no one can seem to lock down exactly what was going on because there have been so many different versions told by different people involved here. So 
I'll do my best to explain what we know based on the research I've done. At 10.30 a.m., a text was sent from Phoebe's phone to Aunt, Natalie, Len, her brothers, Tom and Nick, Jeanette, Natalie's partner, Russell, and her boss, Michelle. It said, quote, Hi, family. I am in bed about to sleep, and when I wake, I will transform into the most incredible human being you've ever seen. Not. I will go to hospital. It's safer there, and I hear the special tonight is tomato soup. Delicious. Nutritious. I love you all very much, but not enough to send an individual text. Sorry about that, but time is sleep, and I must be on my way. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream, XO. After getting this pretty bizarre text, Jeanette was really worried and decided to call Aunt to see what was going on with Phoebe. Aunt said that he hadn't seen the text yet, but that when he left the apartment that morning, Phoebe was sound asleep and totally fine. Aunt assured Natalie that he would go home and check on Phoebe, and supposedly, he did this. According to a statement Aunt later gave to police, he arrived back at the Valencia around 11.30 a.m., where he talked to Phoebe, who told him that she had taken two Stillnox sleeping pills that had been prescribed to Aunt. Aunt said before he left to go back to work, he took this bottle of pills with him so that Phoebe wouldn't take more um, if she woke up, either on purpose or an accident. There's a problem here, though. There's no record of Aunt going back to the apartment. At the Valencia, each resident has a key fob that is tracked like crazy when they go in and out of the building. You have to use that fob to get into the parking garage, then into the lobby, then to access the elevator. And the fob only works for the floor that you actually live on. So you can't like get into the elevator and go to whatever floor you want. If you live on five, you're going to five with your key fob. If you were visiting the building, the resident on that particular floor had to buzz you in. Or you would get into the elevator and stand there like an idiot while none of the buttons worked and people would get into the elevator with you like, what are you doing? Apparently this happened all the time at the Valencia and then whoever was working the lobby had to be like, buzz your friend so they can buzz you up. So every time a resident went to their floor, there would be three different checkpoints that scanned this fob. Parking garage, lobby, elevator. And all of these were tracked and recorded for months. Later, there would be zero record of Ant going back to the apartment in the middle of the day on December 1st, even though he insisted that he had. That's just the first of many inconsistencies that will come up in Ant's story, but we'll get more into that later. December 1st was a Wednesday, so that meant that their cleaner, Sally Teller, came by to make the apartment quote-unquote look like no one lived there, like Ant liked it. When she got there, Phoebe was in their master bedroom, and Sally was surprised that Phoebe was there because usually the apartment was empty when she cleaned it. Sally peeked into the master bedroom to ask Phoebe if it was okay for her to clean in there, and Phoebe said that it was fine, and she just left that room so that she could clean in there. Sally asked Phoebe if she was okay, if she was feeling sick or needed anything, and Phoebe said that she felt fine and was her usual bubbly self. According to Aunt, when he got home from work that night, he cooked Phoebe dinner, he drew her a bath, and he gave her a massage which could be true. I'll let you decide if that sounds like something someone does who is complaining about their girlfriend going out and partying and all of this stuff after she'd tried to move out four times in the past six weeks and they were clearly on the rocks and frustrated with each other. Maybe he did. The night before when Phoebe was out kind of on her bender, he had called her dozens of times and was probably pretty pissed that he couldn't get a hold of her, but maybe he really was trying to be kind and understanding and supportive of Phoebe. Phoebe talked to her dad later that night and told him that she was feeling pretty miserable after drinking and kind of being on drugs for the last few days, and she told him, quote, I really need to stop doing this. That evening was actually the family birthday party for Len that Phoebe had said they couldn't go to because they had those tickets to the U2 concert. Either they didn't actually have those tickets, or they just decided to stay in since Phoebe wasn't feeling great, but either way... They made plans for Phoebe and Aunt to take Len to dinner the following day to celebrate Len's birthday. The following day, December 2nd, Aunt left the Valencia around 8.30 a.m., and according to him, Phoebe was still asleep. So this day was kind of weird. A lot of weird things happened leading up to the final event. Um, So that day, there were two different false fire alarms because there was work being done on the building, and the workers had accidentally set the fire alarm off. The first alarm went off around 11 a.m., and all 23 floors were evacuated. Phoebe was seen on CCTV footage exiting the building with her dog Yoshi. It's speculated that people think in the footage it looks like Phoebe is stumbling, like maybe she's drunk. And when it's described like that, it sounds like she was like staggering around or holding onto a wall or something. But personally, I don't think she's stumbling in this video. She was walking fine and then it looks like Yoshi maybe pulls his leash and she kind of lurches forward a bit. 
but it doesn't look like she was intoxicated or having a hard time walking. Also, it's worth mentioning, Yoshi was like a medium-sized dog. So he wasn't huge, but he wasn't tiny either. And even a small dog, if it pulls on a leash, like you're going with it wherever it wants to go. So I just thought that was worth mentioning because it does get brought up a lot that it seems like Phoebe was drunk uh, at this time in the day. So after the evacuation, Phoebe chatted with some of the other residents and talked to some of the fire brigade people before heading back inside. There was activity on the computer that Phoebe and Aunt shared. Phoebe sent some emails that afternoon and then the fire alarm went off again at 6 p.m. This time the building wasn't evacuated because they knew what had set it off. There wasn't actually an emergency. That evening, the manager on duty was Beth Ozulup. The day manager, Eric, had left early to take his son to a music lesson, and before that, he was supposed to take some time to check that the trash compactor in the building was working properly because they'd had some work done on it that week, and um, since the day had been really hectic with the workers there, the fire brigade being in and out, the false fire alarms, etc., things finally settled down around 6.30 p.m. Eric hadn't had a chance to check the machine, so Beth was supposed to do it. But at that point, um, a tenant told Beth that the elevator was a mess. It looked like maybe someone had been eating in there and there were just crumbs everywhere. So Beth went to take care of the crumbs. Can't have a dirty elevator. So Beth went to go into the trash compactor room to get a broom and a dustbin. The compactor room was a place that Beth avoided going, from what I understand. She didn't like going in there because there were always weird things that people threw away and the smell was awful, which I would imagine so. But she had to go in there to get this broom and dustbin and... When Beth opened the door to that compactor room, she saw that one of the large bins that caught the garbage after it came down the chute into the compactor had tipped over and spilled all over the floor. And Beth saw something that she thought was a mannequin. She stepped out of the room to collect herself and breathe for a moment before peeking back into the room and noticing that there was blood everywhere. Beth was hysterical, rightly so, and called Eric. Beth was so upset that Eric could barely understand what she was saying, but he told her not to go back into the compactor room and to call triple zero, which is basically just Australia's 911. Police arrived within minutes to see what was going on. Meanwhile, up on the 12th floor, Ant arrived home from work around 6.05 p.m. When he got there, he noticed that Phoebe was not in the apartment, but her keys and purse were there. And according to Aunt, there were little sticky notes with scribbles on them around the apartment. They were hard to read, and he said that Phoebe would sometimes write things like this when she had been drinking. There was a broken glass in the kitchen and a small amount of blood on the desk where they kept their computer. Aunt said that he went into their room and there was a quote-unquote shrine set up with candles, photos of the couple, and more of these notes that Aunt described as, quote, rambled notes. The notes she writes when she's smashed and they don't make a lot of sense, end quote. This shrine gets brought up by Aunt a few times, but none of the investigators who went into that apartment later on saw any evidence of a shrine or candles or photos on the bed. I don't know what to make of that, but it's weird, and it's a weird thing to bring up when it's clearly not there. Apparently, none of these things seemed out of the ordinary to Aunt, and I guess he wasn't super worried, even though Phoebe's straightener was plugged in and turned on, her bag and keys were still there, meaning that if she left the apartment, it was with no money and no way to get back in without that key fob. Around 6.50, Len called to see what time they should meet up for that belated birthday dinner at Phoebe's favorite restaurant, The Golden Triangle. Phoebe obviously didn't answer, and almost immediately, Aunt called Len from his own phone and told him that Phoebe wasn't home. Also, let's quickly talk about Phoebe's cell phone because it's yet another thing that adds confusion to this case. There were different stories about this phone according to Aunt. So the previous day, Phoebe's family got that weird text, the life is but a dream text from Phoebe's phone around 10.30 a.m. But at some point, Aunt said that he had taken her phone to get repaired that day. So how could she have sent that text if he left the apartment at 9 a.m. with her phone? Then later, he said that he actually hadn't taken Phoebe's phone until the 2nd and that he thought maybe it could have possibly even been after that. This is important because when Len called Phoebe's phone, Aunt called him back 30 seconds later. Aunt had never called Len before, not one time. It seems like maybe Aunt had heard Phoebe's cell phone ring, but then later Aunt said that it was just a coincidence, that he just happened to call Len, um, and he couldn't have heard the phone ring because it was at the repair shop. Aunt let Len know that Phoebe wasn't home, but he didn't think that she could have gone far without her purse or her keys. It seems like right away Len was pretty concerned, given the last few days Phoebe hadn't been in the best place. Len told Aunt that he should call the police and report Phoebe missing, but Aunt said that they don't listen until 48 hours have passed and she'll be back by then. The conversation ended, and I'm sure Len was shocked by Aunt's attitude. Later, Aunt said that he was really concerned at this point, 
but it seems to me that he couldn't have been that worried because after he hung up with Len, instead of calling around to Phoebe's friends or maybe trying to call her Nokia phone, he called the Golden Triangle to place a delivery order for one. I just, your girlfriend who had a rough couple days isn't home when you get home from work. You see all her stuff is there. You allegedly find this shrine in your bedroom. There's broken glass and blood by the computer. Her dad is worried and wants you to call the police. And you're like, well, I'm super hungry. We were going to go to dinner anyway. Better order from Phoebe's favorite restaurant where we were supposed to go in an hour. And this is difficult for me because I do think it's so important not to judge the way that people act in situations that we have nothing to do with. You know what I mean? And I think that sometimes in stressful situations, people act in a really weird way that later seems weird, but at the time isn't. But I just, I have a hard time with it. It makes me feel uncomfortable. And I would like to know if you think it's weird that he called this restaurant that they were supposed to be going to and ordered takeout for one when Phoebe was supposed to be coming home soon. I just, I can't wrap my head around it. One of my very favorite true crime YouTubers, Stephanie Harlow, pointed out that while a lot of people think Ant's behavior is weird, maybe there's a very simple explanation for it. Stephanie pointed out that maybe he was just used to Phoebe coming and going and just assumed she would be back when she felt like it. And I'm trying to be better at seeing things from all points of view and not jumping to conclusions. And maybe it was one of those things where he was like, fine, you're going to ditch me and not tell me where you are and not be able to get a hold of you. I'll just order my own dinner. And then when you get home, you can be jealous that I ordered my own dinner. Like maybe it was one of those things that was maybe like a little bit of like a poking the bear situation. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, I just know that if I got home from work and my husband was not home and he was supposed to be home and we had plans and I couldn't get a hold of him, the last thing I would do is order dinner. But really, I would like to know your opinion on that because maybe it's not that weird. So, Aunt ordered his dinner and the delivery guy got there around 8 p.m. When Aunt buzzed him up to his apartment, the delivery guy was like, I hope your dinner's not cold. I had to park my bike around the corner because there are police everywhere blocking the building. Aunt went down to the lobby to see what was going on and Senior Sergeant Andrew Healy told Aunt that a woman's body had been found. Aunt was like, wait, my girlfriend's missing. Do you think it could be her? It seems like the police thought that was a quick conclusion for him to jump to, so they asked him for some more information. Ant's first version of the day was that he had tried calling Phoebe multiple times to check on her, and when he got home, there was that weird shrine and the sticky notes, etc. He was also very quick to tell the officers that she was suffering from depression and taking different medications. Sergeant Healy asked if she had any distinguishing features, and Ant said she had a tattoo that matched his own tattoo on her wrist and showed him the tattoo and also let him know that there was a stud piercing in her upper lip. Sergeant Healy asked to see a photo of Phoebe, and at that point he confirmed that it was in fact Phoebe found in the compactor room. He asked Ant if he wanted to see her body, and Ant said that he was too devastated to see her. Sergeant Healy went to see this alleged shrine in the apartment. There wasn't one, and I still can't figure out if Ant later said that there was a shrine or if he told the police that night that there was a shrine, but either way, no one else saw it. The police did find Phoebe's straightener out and plugged in, and they found that broken glass with blood on it and blood on the computer keyboard. After that initial search, this investigation absolutely went to shit. We'll get into it. Um, Ant called Len and told him that Phoebe was dead, and I can't even imagine how awful that phone call had to have been for Len. Len, of course, was devastated. He had to call Natalie and tell her, and I don't think that Aunt told him over the phone exactly what had happened. Natalie had just gotten home from the airport uh, when he called, and she was completely heartbroken. She was hysterical, and Russell, her partner, had to carry her inside. Phoebe was an incredible person who was loved by so many, and her death would create a hole in the lives of a lot of people that would never be filled. The treatment and injustice of this investigation moving forward is... A nightmare. It's a disgrace. And she deserved so much better. Um, but before we move into the details of her death and investigation, um, I think it's important because sometimes the actual people in these cases get lost in the clickbait headlines. And I just wanted to give her a moment. So whatever your thing is, either a prayer or a good thought or good vibes, send that out into the universe for the people who loved Phoebe. And um, I just don't feel like this family even had a second to mourn this devastating loss before they had to deal with wave after wave of frustration and disappointment and fighting with the police and with Ant. Police arrived at the Valencia around 7.15 and quickly called an ambulance that arrived a few minutes later. Right off the bat, there were issues with how this scene was processed. Christy Cook was one of the paramedics that arrived to the scene, but she wasn't allowed in the compactor room. The police told her that it was a crime scene and that no one could enter. 
She could see Phoebe laying on the ground. She had cuts to her right thigh and her right foot was in an unnatural position. Christy believed that she had a fractured ankle and was really upset that she wasn't allowed in the compactor room. She didn't even get a chance to assist Phoebe. And what if she was just unconscious? No one had actually touched Phoebe to check her vital signs or see if there were any signs of life. Not one medically trained person was allowed into that compactor room. Hours later, crime scene specialists arrived and determined that by the blood trails found in the room, Phoebe had definitely survived the fall and was most likely crawling around trying to get out of the dark compactor room. There were no windows and there was not a lot of light in there. And especially if she was really disoriented from what had just happened, she probably couldn't find the door. She didn't make it over to the door. We don't know. But she was definitely alive when she got to the bottom of that chute. Eric, the building manager, was trying to be as helpful as possible and suggested that the police should act quickly to get the CCTV footage from the building. They'd been having issues with their cameras. The looping time for the recording was too short, so the machine was recording over the top of new tapes quicker than it should have been. He suggested to the police that they needed to download that footage ASAP, but Eric said the police, quote, didn't really respond to me suggesting this, end quote. But they did watch the footage with him in the office. If I understand correctly, there were no cameras in the elevator in the actual compactor room or the room on the 12th floor where the compactor chute was located. So there wouldn't have been a clear explanation as to what exactly happened, but they could have looked into the people coming and going from the building that day. And if there was anyone out of place or acting strange, it doesn't really matter now because that footage was long gone despite Eric's best efforts to give it to the police. Beth was still obviously terrified and upset after finding Phoebe. She was waiting for her sister to pick her up so she wouldn't have to go home on her own. When an officer told her not to worry too much, like that's even possible after what she just saw, because she has a heart, I don't know, he said, quote, the girl committed suicide and put herself down that rubbish chute, end quote. This was like an hour after the police got there. I'm not even sure they had identified Phoebe by that point, but it didn't take them long at all and they didn't look into it before people started saying that and jumping to that conclusion. Not long after that was when Ant came down and they put together that it was Phoebe. Some of the officers looked around the apartment. They saw the blood. They saw the broken glass. Didn't see a shrine. Um, there were a couple of photos on the bed, but it wasn't as weird and like mystical as Ant made it sound. They took a quick look around the 12th floor, including the room where the trash chute was. There was a spot of blood on the door to that room and blood on the floor inside the room. Detective Garrett Howells saw a dirty boot or shoe prints leading away from apartment 1201, which was Aunt and Phoebe's apartment, and he believed, based on the length of the stride, that the person was either very tall or running. And they definitely weren't, like, Phoebe-sized footprints. It was definitely, like, larger footprints. This fancy-schmancy apartment complex, the floors got cleaned every single day. Someone was mopping those floors, so the prints had to have been new. These could have been a clue, but no one took photos or followed up on it. That night, Phoebe's family and aunt were questioned, and just like he had when the police were in their apartment, aunt told them about how Phoebe had been depressed, she was talking to a psychiatrist about her mental health, and she had been taking drugs. He described her as self-destructive and, quote, struggled every day to do the simplest things, end quote, which I don't exactly think is fair. She was struggling, yes, but she was also trying to get things handled and was making future plans. Plans to get away from aunt. Maybe to Aunt, it seemed like she was struggling because she was trapped in that apartment. Anyways, moving on. Her family was also very open about Phoebe's drug and alcohol use. No one was trying to, like, cover it up or make it seem like she wasn't doing those things. Um, but none of them believed that she was suicidal. And I do think it's important to note that people can be depressed without being suicidal. People can also have intrusive thoughts about suicide without acting on it. And I think it's really unfair that the second someone mentions mental health, a lot of the time in these investigations, if you can even call this an investigation with how quickly they jumped to conclusions here, in these cases where drug abuse or mental illness are part of that person's life, they often don't look deeper into the bizarre deaths because they just assume it was a suicide and move on. No matter what the circumstance, um, no one close to Phoebe believed that she would have done this to herself. I'm getting a little ahead of myself, so let's get back to the night of Phoebe's death. Aunt called his mom, Sue, and his stepdad, Robert, as well as their friend, Linda Cohen, and Linda was devastated. She couldn't believe that Phoebe was gone, and when she got to the apartment, she said that Aunt was in a room with a detective, and Aunt was laying on the floor sobbing hysterically. And when his mom and stepdad showed up, she said that Aunt got up, 
went to the table, but was still crying and he was talking really weird. While he was being interviewed by police, Detective Justin O'Brien noted that Ant was crying, but there was no tears, no mucus, no red eyes. He was just like making the noises. And apparently the officer who was typing out Ant's statement was slow at typing. And at one point, Ant looks up at him and is like, oh, do you want me just to type that for you? I'm a really fast typer. And the officer was like, dude, you can't even stand up. How can you type a statement? The following days and weeks were full of uncomfortable and very frustrating events for Phoebe's family. On December 3rd, they went to view Phoebe's body, and they called Aunt multiple times to see if he would go with them. Finally, his mom, Sue, answered the phone and said that Aunt couldn't go to the viewing because he was resting. A huge shock came a few days later when they found out that they weren't able to have Phoebe's body released to them so that they could start planning her funeral. Apparently, Aunt had registered as Phoebe's next of kin, so now all of those decisions were in his name. This was odd because there are certain criteria you have to meet to be someone's next of kin, which their relationship didn't actually fit in. In Australia, you either need to be married or meet the requirements of basically what's a common law marriage, including living together for at least two years, a sexual relationship, joint property, and to be committed publicly to sharing a life. First of all, Aunt and Phoebe had only been dating for a little over a year and a half, so right there, it doesn't fit. They had to be living together for two years. They hadn't even known each other for two years. Also, they'd broken up and Phoebe had moved out multiple times in the weeks leading up to her death. On top of that, Phoebe also paid Aunt $120 per week in rent. And if I remember correctly, they figured out that Aunt had lied on this application to be her next of kin and kind of messed with the dates of when they met and when they moved in to make it look like it had been longer than it actually was. Phoebe's family was obviously shocked and confused as to why Aunt would do that, but he still wouldn't talk to them. Finally, his mom called for him to set up a meeting with Natalie and Len. And again, listen, everyone deals with trauma differently, and maybe talking to her family was really difficult for Aunt because he was also grieving. But if you've got yourself together enough to fill out next of kin forms, like the day of and all of that, I would think you have the common courtesy of involving her family. Also, let's remember that this is a 40-year-old man we're talking about here. This is not some 20-year-old kid that needs protecting from his mom. Everyone was taking turns taking care of Aunt. His mom, his sister, and some of his close friends kind of took turns just hanging out with him and making sure he was okay. Later, Linda said that Aunt had acted strangely in the days after Phoebe's death. She said one moment he would be completely fine, acting totally normal. She saw him using Facebook a lot. But if visitors came, especially Phoebe's family, he would suddenly cry and curl up on the couch. Again, we all know that grief comes in waves, and there are definitely things that trigger it, but that was pointed out, so I thought it was important to include. Also, less than a week after Phoebe's death, and I believe before there had been an official ruling by police, Aunt put up a Facebook status that said, quote, For those of you around the world who don't know the sad news, my partner Phoebe struggled terrible depression much of her life. She took her life on Thursday to ease her pain, to be at peace. There will be a memorial next week, end quote. Phoebe's family was not thrilled with Aunt announcing that to the world, and a lot of her friends found out that Phoebe had passed away because of that Facebook post. Everyone who knew Phoebe was completely shocked that this had happened, and none of them believed it was a suicide. And I know that in a situation where someone takes their own life, it can be really, really difficult for their loved ones to accept it. It goes back to the fact that we just don't always know what's going on in someone's life, and even people who seem fine can be suffering with struggles you know nothing about. I think we all know that and understand it, but the issue here is that they didn't feel that Phoebe would have taken her own life, especially in such an absurd way. I think that the people closest to Phoebe knew that she'd been having a rough couple days, or even weeks, months maybe, because she was going back and forth with Anne, and that was causing her a lot of stress. However, I feel like if that were my best friend or my partner or my sister, I would believe that it was possible she had been suicidal, but given the circumstances around her death, absolutely not like that. Let me know what you guys think. The friends she met up with a few days before her death said that when they first became friends, they bonded because they both suffered from depression. And he said that they had discussed suicide multiple times, but he said, in his opinion, that if Phoebe were to commit suicide, it would be using drugs. He said, quote, she loves drugs. All her stories of good times seem to revolve around drugs, end quote. Bren was yet another person who saw Phoebe in the days before her death and said that she had a dark side. He had known her for so long. She had a dark side and sometimes her writings and poetry were dark, but she never discussed suicide with him. And again, I know I sound like a broken record. 
you can never truly know what someone's going through and people are really good at hiding that side of themselves. But even Phoebe's grandpa said that if Phoebe had decided to take her own life, there is no way she would have done it by going down a trash chute. And I agree, it's ridiculous and it's really dark and it's really bleak. But Lauren pointed out that if she had wanted to commit suicide, she had many, many other options. She was in a 12th floor apartment that had a balcony. She had an apartment full of pills. There was just no way that she would put herself down a trash chute. It's ridiculous. Everyone close to Phoebe agreed that it was also very strange that there was no note. Phoebe constantly wrote. She had multiple journals. She had journals that she would take with her out so she could kind of like scribble thoughts down during the day. Like the scroll was constantly writing. None of them talked about wanting to take her own life. It's just really hard to believe that someone like Phoebe wouldn't have left anything alluding to this supposed plan. While trying to make sense of what happened and dealing with the unimaginable grief, Natalie and Len hit another roadblock when they were trying to plan Phoebe's funeral. Ant was now the next of kin, and he wouldn't communicate with Phoebe's parents, who had more of a right to make decisions than Ant did, in my opinion. After some back and forth, Ant agreed to release Phoebe's body to her family, who wanted a full autopsy done. They made it very clear that they wanted a coroner who would be impartial and didn't have any connections to Ant's family. It's a perfectly fair request. But when Ant heard about this, he sent Natalie an email expressing how disappointed he was. He basically said that they were being ridiculous, that the idea that his stepmom Felicity had connections to the chief coroner was unfair, and Ant pointed out that Felicity had tried to help Natalie find the services available through the chief coroner who was Felicity's, quote, professional colleague and personal friend. Right. It, you just said it. That's the huge issue. It's a huge conflict of interest. Ant also took a jab at Phoebe's parents and said that he felt that Phoebe would be very disappointed that they were, quote, trying to engage in a dispute over who had claims to her body. Ant finished this email by saying that he had lost all trust in dealing with Len and Natalie, and he said that he and his family would make the funeral arrangements and um, memorial service that he so graciously invited Jeanette and Phoebe's brothers to, basically saying that Len and Natalie were not welcome at their own daughter's funeral. Then he said that he would no longer participate in any further correspondence. Horrid behavior, in my opinion. This was extremely devastating and difficult for Phoebe's family to go through, and to have Aunt act like that on top of it must have been awful. This was a time that everyone should have been banning together and leaning on each other, and for Aunt to point the finger at Phoebe's family and act like they were the ones being difficult? Oh, it bothers me. As if things weren't hard enough, the same day they got that email from Aunt, they were informed by the homicide team that they didn't feel that there was anything suspicious about Phoebe's death. They didn't believe that there was any kind of foul play involved, and they ruled that Phoebe did this to herself on her own. They told her parents that they would not be doing any further investigation unless the coroner decided to look more into Phoebe's death. Three days. That's how long it took for them to investigate and come to that conclusion. On December 12th, Ant held a service for Phoebe at the Royal Melbourne Yacht Club, and a lot of people attended, but most of the people closest to Phoebe agreed that while the service was beautiful, it didn't represent Phoebe very well. There were a lot of photos of her and Ant together, and from what I've read, it seems like it was really more of a memory of the person Ant wanted Phoebe to be, rather than a good representation of who she actually had been. Phoebe's family held a service on December 16th, and hundreds of people attended to remember Phoebe. Most of them hadn't gone to Ant's ceremony, but the ones who did go to both felt this was a much better tribute to Phoebe. People shared stories about her and wrote messages for Phoebe that would be put in her urn to send her off with love. The following day, Phoebe was cremated, and Ant and his family didn't want to attend the cremation ceremony. A few days later, on December 22nd, Ant and his mom agreed to meet up with Natalie, I think to kind of clear the air, and Phoebe's family didn't want to have any bad feelings between themselves and Ant's family, and I think they were really trying hard to bridge that gap. Natalie told Ant that she would like to collect some of Phoebe's things, and Ant agreed, and they went back to the Balencia. I think maybe he had a box of things for Natalie because it wasn't until later that Natalie realized there were things missing, including Phoebe's passport, birth certificate, wallet, and Medicare card. He also didn't give Natalie her camera, laptop, or any of Phoebe's journals. Again, these journals were so important, Phoebe wrote like crazy. There should have been multiple journals that he gave to Natalie. And Natalie emailed Ant and asked for these things. He gave her another box, but still her passport, official IDs, and journals were not included. Not long after the memorials for Phoebe, Ant tried to apply to collect Phoebe's death benefits, and apparently he needed some kind of signed statement saying that they had been in a happy, loving relationship. Ant asked Phoebe's friend Alicia to write a letter saying those things, and Alicia was like, absolutely not. 
Alicia said she had never heard Phoebe say that they were in a loving or stable relationship, and she said she wouldn't write a letter saying so. Good for her. Seriously, good for her. Aunt's dad, however, did write a letter so that Aunt could collect these benefits, and in that letter, George said that Phoebe and Aunt had been living together six months longer than they had, which is interesting because when they moved in together, they'd only known each other for like five months, so he was claiming that they'd lived together before they even met. And Aunt eventually did get that money, which was around $110,000. He ended up giving it to Phoebe's family, so that's good, but I just, like, then why, why cause all of that drama? Why not just let them collect it and be done? It makes me bananas, whatever. It makes me bananas in these cases when families of victims have to, like, jump in and become detectives and do all of the work that's not being done. But I guess the silver lining in the situation is that Phoebe's grandpa, Lauren, was a retired detective. Lauren was shocked at this investigation. A three-day investigation where they barely investigated and they already decided that this was no foul play and that Phoebe did this to herself. Lauren was not buying it, so he made an appointment with Sergeant Clancy of Homicide for later that week. Usually, they didn't love when retired cops got involved with current investigations, but he agreed to see him because it was such an unusual situation. In part two, we're going to get into the investigation and work that Lauren ended up doing. He's amazing, and I hate that he even had to step in the way that he did, but a lot of what he uncovered and some tests that he does are really interesting and really important. And this is why I wanted to do this in two parts, because... Phoebe's backstory and the events leading up to her death are so important that I didn't want to gloss over anything. And then the investigation that Lauren does himself and the inquest and all the things that happen after Phoebe died also deserve a lot of attention. So that's why I'm doing it in two parts. I'm sorry if you hate two-parters. It's going to be up soon. So make sure that you either subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts or both so that you know when part two comes out. Thank you for being here for this long episode and I will talk to you soon. Bye.